Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for the forgiveness that you offer to us. Thank you for being in our presence this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would now have open hearts to receive the word that is to be proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you would give me your Holy Spirit to speak your words so that your people can hear. Lord, you have called us into a life of discipleship. And Lord, we cannot live. We cannot live as your disciples without your grace and your Holy Spirit. So increase our faith, O Lord, to trust in you, that we would go from this place as your faithful disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. By grace, by grace, you have been called. You have been called by grace. You have been called by his grace into a life of discipleship. Did you know that you are a disciple? You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Some people think, well, I thought there were only 12 disciples. Now, you too are a disciple, a Christian, a believer is a disciple, one who follows Jesus, one who follows and lives the example of Jesus Christ. So you've been called out of the world, you've been called from following the ways of the world, and you've been called to follow Jesus Christ. You've, you've been called to live your life in such a way that it reflects Jesus to other people. So that when they see you, they see a reflection of Jesus Christ. To understand what it means to be a disciple is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know his word. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember, a disciple is a follower. So who was Jesus? And what did Jesus do? Well, we learn in uh, the scriptures that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what does it mean to be a disciple? To be a disciple is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So how did Jesus go about doing good? Read the four Gospels. Read any one of them, actually. Just pick one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Take notice of Jesus. Take notice of how he lived his life. Take notice of how he interacted with people. That's what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you read one of the four Gospels and you take notice of Jesus and who he was and how he lived his life, and if you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot help but fall in love with Jesus. So a disciple is one who follows and reflects Jesus. Jesus, he reached out. Jesus reached out. Notice Jesus didn't sit to stay in an office. He didn't stay in a study surrounded by a bunch of books. 
He didn't hang out in the church. Jesus went out into the community and he made an impact. He impacted the marginalized people of society. Did you know that there, there is nothing more repulsive to a watching world than Christians that don't live, that don't live out what they profess to believe? There's, there's nothing more repulsive to the world than a church that doesn't reflect the characteristics of the one that they've been called to follow. And so the world has every right to, to point at the church and to say to the church, you really don't reflect the one you claim to follow. So by grace, you've been called into discipleship. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've been called out of the world. You've been called from following the ways of the world to following your Savior, Jesus Christ. You've been called to live your life in a way that reflects Jesus. So that the world can see through you what, who Christ is and what Christ is like. So how are we to live as disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, our, our gospel lesson today tells us, and it comes from Luke chapter 17. We're going to go through it here at the beginning in just a moment here. We're going to go verse by verse through uh, our, our gospel lesson from Luke 17, 1 through 10. But before we do that, you need to know that, that Luke 17, 1 through 10 is, is a part of a much larger sermon that Jesus gave a much larger sermon that actually goes all the way back to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, he begins to teach on what it means to be a disciple. So if you want the whole sermon that Jesus gave on discipleship, you've got to go back to Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and then keep reading through uh, to Luke 17, 10. And there you get the whole picture. So what I'm, what I'm giving you today is only a portion of what Jesus taught about discipleship. Just a portion of it. So in today's gospel lesson, we will learn the following. First of all, don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block to other people. Number two, forgive. Be radical in your generosity of forgiveness and grace towards others. And number three, trust in the Lord. Trust in him because we can't live this life in our own strength. And then number four, serve selflessly. So don't be a stumbling block. Forgive others. Trust in the Lord and serve selflessly. So number one, don't be a stumbling block. Scripture is on the screen. Luke 17, 1 through 2. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Going back to Luke 17.1 on the screen. Luke 17.1, we have this phrase, temptations to sin. Temptations to sin. In the Greek, it, it literally says this, things that cause people to stumble. Things that cause people to stumble are sure to come but woe to the one through whom they come. What does this mean? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. So if we want to know what a passage means, the best thing to do is to go to another passage 
to gain an understanding of the meaning of the text. So James chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. What does this mean? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Things that cause people to stumble are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The most powerful tool humans have at their disposal is persuasion. Persuasion. Look throughout human history. Study war. Study the fall or the rise of societies and you will see that human persuasion is the most powerful tool that humans have at their disposal. In other words, what you say And even more than what you say, what you do has a massive impact upon those who you have influence over. So what you say and what you do have a massive impact. And Jesus is so serious about this that he says that it would be better for a person to die in a horrific way... In, a, in an unimaginable way, than to cause an impressionable person to sin. This is massive, church. This is huge. As a disciple of Jesus, you are, you are given the task of keeping the pathway to the cross clear. You don't want to do anything or to say anything that will cause somebody to stumble on their way to Jesus. What you say and what you do matter. Don't place stumbling blocks in the way of people who are seeking to know Jesus or to grow in their faith. What you say and what you do, the way you live your life, is key. You can reflect Jesus. You can make an impression upon another person for the sake of the gospel. What you say and what you do matter. And later in the sermon, we'll we'll learn that selfless service, selfless service is the way of the disciple. Selfless service. But before we get into this, uh, Jesus has something else to say in our gospel lesson. And it's a message about forgiveness. So first of all, don't be a stumbling block. Number two, forgive others. Be rich in forgiveness. Jesus says in Luke 17, 3 through 4. So he says this, this is so important, three words, so watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, church. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent... Forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, 
you must forgive them. This is hard, church. This is hard. So for help for this, we'll go back to James 3, verse 2 again. James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So know this. Know that sin is, is bound to happen in the church. Know that sin is bound to happen in the church against you. Someone in this room is going to sin. Someone in this room is going to sin against you. Somebody in this room is going to hurt you through their actions. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if you've not been hurt by someone in church. I would be shocked. If you've never been hurt by another believer, you're not really in the community of believers. A part of living in any community, including the community of believers, a part of it is being in relationships. And relationships are hard. How many of you could testify to that? Yeah, relationships are difficult. They are hard. And there's a reason the Christian community is called a family. Now, if I were to ask you what relationships in your life are the most difficult, you'll probably point to your spouse, right? You'll point to your husband, you'll point to your wife. Which relationships in your life are the most difficult? You'll point to your children, right? <laughs> we understand, Sandy. So if relationships within the family of the church are difficult, or if they're difficult in the family, why would, they, why, why would we expect them to be easy in the church? So forgiveness. Forgiveness is a key component of well-managed conflict. And I need to be up front with you, because this topic of conflict is huge. And the topic of forgiveness is huge. We would need a whole class on conflict and forgiveness in order to cover everything that needs to be covered about this very deep subject. This is a hard subject. And today I can only touch on, on what the text says. So that being said, we'll proceed with, with Jesus' words. Verse 3, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And we have to understand what that phrase, rebuke them, really means. We need to understand what that means. Rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So we'll go to Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person in what way? Gently. Gently. Okay, so that phrase, rebuke them, has to be understood in the context of Galatians 6.1. I can go with, with a really bad attitude and a really mean spirit to somebody and rebuke them and do more damage 
and do more damage than if I would go to them with gentleness and to point out their sin and to restore them. Restore them gently, but watch yourselves. There's that phrase again, watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So the disposition of the believer confronting another believer, the disposition we're to have is, is gentleness. Another way that I, that I like to put this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Every fruit of the Holy Spirit is needed as we, as we deal with confrontation with each other within the church. We don't rebuke in anger. We rebuke in love, with peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't just sweep sin and offenses under the rug. We confront. But we confront with the spirit of Christ, and the mind of Christ, and the attitude of Christ. And forgiveness is to be freely given. How many of you on the news or online saw the amazing and gracious act of forgiveness by the brother of Botham Jean, who was murdered by a police officer. Any of you see that? If you haven't seen it yet, you need to just look up Botham Jean and forgiveness. And here the brother of Botham Jean is, is sitting at the stand and he's He's, uh, he's doing the, the victim impact statement. And typically when, when the victims of those who have been murdered stand and, take the, the, uh, and, and give their statement, it's usually just uh, out of their mouth come, comes hatred and out of their mouth comes uh, this venom against the one who was offended and hurt them. But Botham Jean stands up and or he sits there at the stand and he offers nothing but forgiveness to the woman who had murdered his brother. And if you, if you look up the whole statement, he actually says, I hope you find Jesus. Because if you go to Jesus, I know that Jesus will forgive you. And he says, I love you, and I forgive you. Then he looks at the judge and he says, can I do something, please? Can I get up? Can I stand up? And can I give her a hug? The judge hesitated and said, yes. He got up and he gave the, a hug uh, to the woman who murdered his brother. My friends, this is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is discipleship in action. It played out on national television this week for us. Forgiveness uh, might include letting the person off the hook, but in most cases, there are still consequences. Forgiving doesn't mean that what the person did is okay or saying that there are no consequences for what you did. Oftentimes, there are very deep consequences for sin, even after forgiveness has been given. Botham, Jean's murderer, should not be let off the hook for what she did. She still needs to go to prison for murdering an innocent man. Saying, I forgive you, doesn't mean that there are no consequences. To forgive is simply to release to God 
and to let God have his way. Did you know that when you refuse to forgive, you are carrying a burden that is too great for you to bear? So let go. Give it to God. Let him deal with the situation. This is how the disciples of Jesus Christ live. Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, know what's going to happen. Rebuke them, knowing what it means to rebuke them in light of Galatians 6.1. And if they repent, forgive them, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is hard. This is deep. This is way too big for us to cover in just one sermon. So number one, don't be a stumbling block. Number two, forgive others. Number three, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Do you have what it takes to live as a disciple? Do you have what it takes? Discipleship is about not being a stumbling block, forgiving others relentlessly, Do disciples live out their lives in their own strength? We don't live out our lives as disciples in our own strength. Our strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes when we say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to live the life that you call me to live. So I need your strength. I need your strength today so that I can live the life that you've called me to live. So we come to the point where we say, Lord, you've called me to a task. You've called me to a way of life that is bigger than I am. You've called me to a life that takes strength beyond my ability. So, Lord, I trust in you. And, Lord, I cry out to you and I say, Lord, increase my faith so that I can live as your disciple. Increase my faith. This is what the disciples asked for from Jesus. Increase our faith. Verse 5 of Luke chapter 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They had heard everything that Jesus had to say about discipleship. And they came to the point where they realized they didn't have what it takes. They didn't have the strength, they didn't have the ability, so they knew that they needed a strength and an ability that was beyond themselves. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, just a little, a little seed, not a big massive thing, but just just a little seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. The mark of true discipleship is to be dependent upon Jesus or to trust in Jesus. It's to grab a hold of him. It's to believe in him. And to know that he can do the impossible through you. None of us have the strength to pull out a mulberry or sycamore tree with a taproot way down into the ground. But God can. God can. So to have faith is to trust, to trust that God can do the impossible.
that God can move in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend, to trust in him. And to trust in him is to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes, but you do. So move in your strength and in your power. I have a question. Are you engaged in your life as a disciple to the extent that you need his strength to do what you've been called to do? Or are you living your life as a disciple the easy way? Have you chosen the easy path? The easy path that requires no faith. The easy way of doing things where you can do everything in your own strength. Jesus wants us to engage in ministry that takes faith. He wants us to engage in ministry that is beyond our ability. If you're choosing the easy way to do things in ministry, you're not really doing ministry. Did you know that the ministry of Maple Park is built upon those who chose to do things that are not easy? To plant a church in this neighborhood? To trust God for all that's needed? This church has not chosen the easy path. This church chose to trust in the Lord and in his provision. And may we continue to do the same thing. May we never choose to do that which is easy. May we never choose to do that, that which is within our ability. May we choose to do what God has called us to do as his disciples in this community. As Christians, we need to constantly be be reminded that we can't, but God can. We can't, but God can, and God will. I can't live as a faithful disciple, but through the power of the resurrection, God can keep me faithful. I can't forgive, but Jesus forgave me. So through the power of his love at work in my heart, I can forgive. In his strength, we obey. In his strength, we do what's expected of us, expecting nothing in return. Don't be a stumbling block. Forgive others. Trust in the Lord and the power of his might and his strength. And then last, serve selflessly. Serve selflessly. Verse 7 of our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 17 Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from field, come at once and recline at the table? So imagine you have a bond servant and and the bond servant has been out doing the work that he's been asked to do in the field. Uh, Will you have him come in and will you just ask him to simply uh, lay down and, and, and relax? Uh, in, in Jesus' culture, and this is something that we have to understand here, that may be something that we would do in our culture, but in Jesus' culture, that is unheard of. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me? Well, I eat and drink, and afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he, he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, and here's the attitude of a disciple... We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. 
We have only done what was our duty. Not expecting recognition. Not expecting preferential treatment. Not expecting anything but to simply do what Christ has called us to do. Does our society know us? Does our society know who we are as Christians? Do they really know us? I believe that they know us, they know us more by what we're against than by what we're for and by what we seek to do. How are you serving? How are you serving your neighbor? How are you impacting another person's life? Can you say in life's various callings that you have only done what was your duty? The church in this world needs humble, selfless servants that love and give. That's how the church makes an impact for the gospel. When we serve society expecting nothing nothing in return and no preferential treatment, then the world will see. That's Jesus. That's Jesus at work, alleviating suffering, uh, helping uh, the needs of others within society. How is it that we can be empowered and motivated to live as disciples of Jesus who serve in humility? How is it that we can serve simply content with simply doing what we've been asked to do, expecting nothing in return? We look to Jesus, and we trust in Jesus. Did you know that Jesus went before us and he fulfilled everything for us in our place? He never sinned. He was never a stumbling block. He forgave perfectly. I, can't, I just can't get past Jesus hanging on the cross. Nailed to the cross. And what does he say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When the Holy Spirit impacts your life with that message, that's the only way you can forgive. We forgive because Jesus first forgave us. Perfectly, perfectly, and relentlessly. And he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you know that Jesus had every right to preferential treatment? He had every right to receiving honor and glory and comfort. He is the king of creation. But he humbled himself to serve us selflessly. Amazing. And then he went to the cross for you. He went to the cross so that you can be forgiven. He went to the cross so that you can be saved, knowing that eternity is secure. So by grace... You've been called into discipleship. 
You're a disciple of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for you in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. By grace, you've been called. Called out of this world, this dead-end world that's heading nowhere but to destruction. And you've been called from following the ways of the world to following Jesus Christ. You've been called to live your life in a way that reflects the characteristics of Jesus to a broken world. Living, forgiving, trusting, serving. The ultimate example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to look at Jesus himself. May we live this way. He went about doing good. Today you go. Go as his servant. He went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And has God promised to be with you also? He has. So today we go. We go in peace. We go filled with his Holy Spirit. And we go to serve him. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word today. And Lord, I just pray that you would work these words in our hearts and in our minds in such a way that it would be lived out. Lord Jesus, uh, I need you. I can't do any of this. So Lord, I come before you with, with humility and I say, Lord Jesus, may your power be made perfect in my weakness. May your grace today be sufficient for me. Lord, I need the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your empowering every day to go forth and to see my neighbor as, a, as, as an opportunity to, to be of service um, to them and to you. So Lord, fill our congregation with your spirit that we may go in your power and in your strength today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.